Welcome to the Clinical Podcast. This is Dr. Sean Canone, and this week we're going to change things up a bit and dive into a case study. This is a real case study, one of the most interesting of my professional career. And my hope is that by the end of the podcast today, you'll have a new appreciation for this medical condition and that maybe you'll find a patient or two along the way that you can diagnose and treat and help with this condition. It can be life-altering. Have you ever wished that you could offer a cure for something like Parkinson's disease or Alzheimer's disease? I mean, how great would that be? We watch our patients suffer with these things. They're chronic, progressive, degenerative in nature. They don't get better. They continue to decline. And all we can really offer are palliative solutions. We can slow the disease progression or provide some kind of symptom management or maybe reduce the risk of exacerbations or decompensation or possibly prevent some associated comorbidity. And all those things are really great things to do. But at the end of the day, it'd be so nice to be able to offer them some kind of a cure for the thing that plagues them most and give some hope from that condition and restore a quality of life that had long been forgotten. But as the chronic conditions pile up and the diagnosis list grows, we're called upon to utilize non-pharmacological approaches whenever possible But we find that polypharmacy is really inevitable as we attempt to treat each condition according to the standard of care. So we ultimately focus on reducing medication risk within the realm of polypharmacy, and we watch our patients continue in their overall decline. But occasionally in our professional careers, we come across a case where we see a unique patient presentation, and if we're paying close attention and thinking critically, we may find a cure for the seemingly incurable and give them back their lives for a time. This is exactly what happened in the case I want to share with you today. We're told that when you hear hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras, but sometimes when you look hard enough, you find a zebra and everything changes. About 15 years ago in my practice, I met an elderly couple who had just moved into an assisted living facility that was attached to the nursing home where I served as medical director. And since they were having much more difficulty getting to their local physician, they asked if I would be willing to take care of them while residents in this facility. They were both in their early 80s, but the gentleman's physical functioning had been rapidly declining over the past couple of years. He had a past medical history significant for type 2 diabetes, which was well controlled with diet. He also had hypertension and hyperlipidemia that were both well managed on medication. He had no significant family history since he was adopted as an infant and never knew his parents. He had a remote history of cigarette smoking, but had stopped at least 25 years earlier. In addition, he had no significant history of hospitalizations or surgeries in his past. Over the past two to three years, he had developed significant challenges with overactive bladder. He needed to urinate frequently to the point that it interfered quite a bit with his ability to function publicly. He was forced to bathroom, map, and often he was incontinent of urine when he couldn't get to the bathroom quickly enough. This, of course, had limited his social activity and had placed a significant strain on he and his wife in terms of cleaning the home, linens, clothing, and it had placed him at a very high risk for falling. He had been on Detrol LA for the overactive bladder and incontinence issues, but it hadn't been very effective, so he was recently switched to Ditropan XL, and was still not really having much benefit from the medication. He had a urinary workup and was diagnosed with mild BPH. There was no evidence of increased post-void residuals or cancer or infection, 
and essentially he was diagnosed with neurogenic bladder, probably related to his long-standing type 2 diabetes, and in addition to the pharmacological therapies that had really been ineffective at helping his incontinence, it was recommended that he begin to wear adult diapers. In terms of fall risk, there was another significant issue that became evident from his history and review of symptoms. He had gradually developed a significant gait disorder. Specifically, he was having a very difficult time rising from a seated position, and once on his feet, his gait was very wide-based and shuffling, almost magnetic in appearance, like he was stuck to the floor. He had a neurology workup for this condition, and it was thought that he was experiencing a Parkinson's-like condition and possibly a variant of Parkinson's disease itself. He had no apparent tremor at rest, but he did have a mild intention tremor in one arm. So if it was Parkinson's, the presentation was not classic. In an effort to try something to help with the significantly impaired shuffling gait, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and dopamine in the form of cinnamon had been added to his pharmacological regimen. But there had not been much improvement in his symptoms, and he was very frustrated at this condition. To improve his safety and ability to transfer and ambulate, he was now needing to use a wheeled walker. In addition to his incontinence and gait abnormality, there was a relatively new development that was cause for concern. And this had really been the issue that tipped the scales toward them needing to seek assisted living placement. He was becoming more and more cognitively impaired. Over the past year or so, this man had experienced significant cognitive decline and was exhibiting much more short-term memory loss and forgetfulness. He had been a very highly educated man, so the changes were evident, and it was creating difficulty in his relationships as his communication became very repetitive, often telling the same story over and over again in the same setting. He had lost the ability to drive safely, and there were significant safety concerns at home, including his forgetting to use his walker, which placed him at an even higher risk for falls. He had undergone a general workup for this dementia and was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and placed on Aricept about six months prior to the assisted living placement, but there had been very little demonstrable benefit. Overall, this was a devastating triad of diagnoses all coming in recent years. First, the severe urinary incontinence, then the severe gait abnormality, and more recently, the cognitive decline. So three new diagnoses had been added, overactive bladder in the form of neurogenic bladder with urinary incontinence, Parkinson's disease, and Alzheimer's disease, and his overall function and quality of life was declining rapidly. The long-term prognosis was very poor, and it was only a matter of time before he would not be able to manage in the assisted living setting. There was actually already talk of him getting a bed in the nursing home with his wife continuing to live separately in the attached assisted living facility. So this was the beginning of the end in many ways, and some of us have probably seen this type of patient in the long-term care setting. Numerous, significant, chronic, progressive comorbidities, a substantial number of chronic medications, and a very poor overall quality of life. So this is where the workup begins. Where would you begin with this patient? How would you work them up? One option is to just accept that this is the new normal for this man. Get the H&P done. Keep him on his current medications. Don't ask too many questions. Make sure he has appropriate follow-up appointments scheduled. Help the staff develop a good care plan and try to address the safety concerns as best you can. 
you definitely want to have a good heart-to-heart conversation with this man's wife and explain that this prognosis does not look good. It'd be a good time to begin discussing goals of care, advanced directives. There may also be some benefit in having a family meeting if you perceive there are others who are concerned and involved. But what would the message be? There are no cures for diabetes or hypertension or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, so most of our care at this point is palliative in nature. We are managing symptoms, trying to improve his quality of life and safety, but based on the way his condition has progressed, the prognosis is not good going forward and we expect decline in cognition and function. My examination was fairly straightforward, looking at the heart, lungs, abdomen, extremities, but I focused mainly on neurological issues, and I found no tremors or focal deficits. I performed a MMSE, and he had significant difficulty with this test, scoring 16 out of 30, indicating that he had a fairly severe cognitive impairment. My initial workup really did focus some attention on the dementia. I knew this man had just been to several specialists over the past year, so I decided to try to get some of those medical records, and at this time, to get some laboratories and check some basic physiology, and potentially to rule out some of the more obscure causes of dementia. I ordered a CBC as a screening for infections, blood disorders, and malignancy, and also to look for anemia, which may contribute to the weakness and confusion. I ordered a CMP to look at issues related to liver and kidney function that could account for some of these same symptoms, and to get a glimpse at nutritional and hydrational status, and to then rule out any abnormalities with regard to minerals or electrolytes. I ordered a hemoglobin A1c to check the status of his type 2 diabetes, and then thinking more specifically about the dementia, I ordered a TSH, B12, folate, and an RPR for syphilis to rule out some of those reversible causes of dementia. In terms of his current medication regimen, I wanted to wait until I had collected some of his medical records and reviewed my laboratory workup, but since there was very little perceived benefit from the Ditropan XL, with the patient still experiencing frequency and incontinence, I decided to hold it to see if this drug may be having a detrimental effect on his cognition and impairing the activity of Aricept. I decided to follow up in a few days once the labs had been reported, or sooner if I was needed. The laboratory analysis was essentially unremarkable. The type 2 diabetes was well controlled. His hydration and nutritional status were very good. There was no evidence of readily identifiable physiological concerns. There was no evidence of infection. The workup for dementia helped me to rule out most of the reversible causes of dementia. But as I looked through his old medical records and asked he and his wife more questions, I soon discovered that there were a couple other potential causes of reversible dementia that had not been explored in previous workups. One was brain tumor. However, like other clinicians before me, I felt that the benefits of putting this man through a CT scan of the brain would not necessarily outweigh the challenges of doing that test or the costs associated with the test. So I decided at this point that my plan would be to optimize his medical management, try to slow the progression of his disease, and palliate symptoms as much as possible. My hope was that I could slow the necessity of his nursing home placement and keep he and his wife together as long as possible. But this is where things take a very surprising twist. And the twist began with a very unlikely source, the Super Bowl. 
I was watching the Super Bowl and paying particular attention to the commercials, as many of us do, and when a commercial came on for NPH, or normal pressure hydrocephalus, I instantly thought of this gentleman. It contained a video of a healthy-looking elderly man describing NPH as another man walked toward him with the very familiar magnetic wide-based gait of NPH. But the thing that made this video so powerful was that the man who was walking across the floor with this NPH gait was actually the same man who was carrying on the discussion of the NPH before he was treated. It was a very powerful visual and it made a very dramatic impression upon me. I'd been teaching on dementia for several years and had always listed NPH as a cause of reversible dementia, but I'd never seen a case in my years of training or practice. In retrospect, I think I saw others with NPH but never knew it. NPH presents with a characteristic triad of urinary incontinence, a Parkinson's-like gait disturbance, and a later onset dementia. Typically, in Alzheimer's disease, urinary incontinence comes much later in the progression, and cognitive impairment comes very early. It is just the opposite, typically, in normal pressure hydrocephalus. The diagnosis of MPH can come from a combination of three things. One, the clinical presentation of this hallmark triad of symptoms. Two, CT or MRI of the brain, which shows deepening of the sulci and expansion of the ventricles. And or three, Spinal tap, lumbar puncture, where up to 50 cc's of spinal fluid may be removed and give temporary but immediate relief of the symptoms. Amazing. I went back to this patient and strongly encouraged that we pursue a workup for NPH. I spoke with his neurologist and we decided on a CT scan and a follow-up appointment in his office. Sure enough, this man had classic NPH on the CT scan and it was determined that he would be a good candidate for surgical treatment. The surgical treatment of NPH is the placement of a shunt that's inserted into the brain and carries cerebrospinal fluid through a tube down the neck and into the abdominal cavity where that fluid is then reabsorbed by the body. While I won't go into full detail about this man's long-term journey after his shunt placement, I will say that once the shunt was placed, this man had full resolution of his urinary incontinence, his gait disturbance, and his dementia. He was like a completely different person, and we had an effect cured the incurable. He had come off the Ditropan already, and now the Aricept and Cinemet were next to follow, as were his diagnoses of Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, and neurogenic bladder with incontinence. It was just an amazing and unlikely turn of events. NPH remains a very rare condition, affecting only about a quarter of a million people in the United States, but it's one that should not be forgotten in the workup of dementia. Early on, when patients present with dementia, we should do anything possible to try to get imaging of the brain. This will rule out reversible brain tumors as well as potentially NPH. In many, the diagnosis would be made too late and the shunt will not be as beneficial, so we need to think of this as early as possible when patients are presenting with these symptoms. Remember too that brain surgery comes with its own set of risks and that must be weighed against the potential benefits of the treatment. In those cases, performing the in-office lumbar puncture with CSF removal may be the key to determining the best next steps. If you'd like to read more about NPH or see the video that I saw when I was watching the Super Bowl many years ago, just go to lifenph.com. 
Well, I hope this was an interesting topic for you today and that you can take this with you into your clinical careers. Maybe you'll find a patient who has that strange triad of symptoms, and maybe this podcast will come to mind and you can do some amazing good for your patient, potentially even cure the incurable. Well, thank you for investing your time with me today on the podcast. And if you have any questions that come up, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'd be happy to talk with you more about NPH. We'll see you next time.